Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Slappy Pappy Wayne Wayan. Let's dim the lights and start the show. He completely butchered that one. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> Welcome to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Pandemic. Swing by the pit and scoop up the new blue caps. Get that fire, get that Pandemic. Welcome to the festival. What? I am Wes. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm Todd. It's a reference straight out of my recommendation for the week, which you will find out at the end of the show. Oh, we have to listen to this whole thing? Yeah, I'm kind of oh, a weirdo God. about that. Can we make it fast this week then? And this show is almost at an end. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to awesome. the festival where we like to... Uh, breakdown shows. I feel like we'll probably have a lot of new listeners this week. So Why? I'm a, I, because I feel like this is going to be one of those episodes that people are looking for commentary and content about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sure. And yeah. it's been such a huge cultural touchstone, which we'll obviously talk about um, the importance of this film. But at the Pestle, I'm, we're both filmmakers. I've been full time filmmaker for the last six years, and we enjoy teasing apart films to see what we can learn about the filmmaking process, whether it's about story and story structure and themes, or if it's about some of the technical things like why did they shoot it in this lens or why did they even shoot it on film or a million different ways and reasons why you might do a certain thing in a film. And here's the thing is that I'm not coming from a place of, I know absolutely why everyone did what they did. It's more right. of here's what I'm getting out of a film. Here's what I think they did. And here's why I think they did it, mm -hmm. which I th think is still super useful because. Yeah. Cause that's what, I mean, did they get the message across? Yeah. You know, like if you're correct, then they did it right. And if you're not correct, I mean, maybe they still did it right, you know, but maybe but, it could have been a little bit clearer. Yeah. That and it's art. It's open to all kinds of interpretations, especially when you start talking about story. And it's just right one way to, to look at something because if I'm a filmmaker looking to create a movie, which I am, then I would still go reference films and say, what am I getting out of this? And even if it's not what, you know, Sierra, uh, <laughs> what uh, Leone said, you know, he meant when he was making the good, bad, and the ugly, like that doesn't matter. It's mattering, you know, what am I seeing? What am I picking up? And how can I implement that in my own film? So it's still useful. It's just one extra lens that, you know, I get to look through and hopefully other people get to look through. <laughs> lens. <laughs> Fun you not threw that intended. one in there. You totally intended that. God, it's horrible. <laughs> just kidding. It's good. All that said, yeah. what are we doing today? Uh, we are doing Black Panther. Ooh. Yeah, I've, I've been excited about this for a while. Um, uh, there's been so much hubbub about it, uh, and and you know, in, in good ways and in not so good ways, right? Like, like it, it's good that it's getting so much attention. It, so much attention, you know, because it's a predominantly black cast. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like, you know, I would say ninety. Five percent, uh, ninety-eight percent uh, black. Super fair. Um, that's awesome. It's just a little sad that it take. It's two thousand eighteen, and we're getting attention to a film like this because of that. That's frustrating. But that being said, I thought it. I I really enjoyed it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. <laughs> that it's sad that it's 
still something that we have to look for and therefore, you know, finally get to celebrate it. Yeah. It's, but but let's hey you know let's we're still here we're gonna celebrate it yeah and but maybe I, in ten years it'll be run of the mill and it's like awesome I'm gonna go see this movie yeah I but, just walked out of this movie I didn't realize that it was I didn't even realize that it that's was what we said black. that's what we said when we walked out I, I I we were watching it and I wasn't like watching white or black actors I was watching a movie mm-hmm. and that's I think it won on that regard like I, I didn't really notice any kind of difference you know I expected it. You yeah, know, it was it was. Yeah. Um, the one thing I was uh, I mean, there's a couple of things like I was a little bit. Well, let me give you let's give the rundown. Yeah. Okay? So we'll talk about a lot of things. <laughs> <Yeah>. We'll <laughs> obviously talk about what we're already talking about, which is the significance of the film in a multitude of ways. Uh, we'll discuss some of the symbolism of Black Panther. And this is coming from a white dude. So <laughs> if I butcher this and you're like, you're an idiot. You're not getting it at all feel free to comment, yeah. <laughs> drop us an email, whatever makes you happy, yeah. but let us know. Send me an article or a book that can give me a good introduction to some of these themes and topics. Uh, we'll also talk about camera settings when yeah. shooting video. It's significant in certain parts of the film, so we'll, we'll touch on that, and I'll tell you why it's important to even uh, know some of those things, especially if you're behind the camera. And obviously, there's just going to be so many other topics. Yeah. Uh, so here's a synopsis that I'm about to butcher. Uh, <laughs> T'Challa, the king of Wakanda, rises to the throne in the isolated, technologically advanced African nation. But his claim is challenged by a vengeful outsider who was a childhood victim of T'Challa's father's mistake. Directed by Ryan Coogler, screenplay, screenplay by Ryan Coogler, Joe Robert Cole, based on the comic by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And it's starring Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, the Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan as Eric Killmonger, Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia, uh, Denai Gurira as Okoye, Martin Freeman as Agent Ross, Daniel Kaluuya as Wakabi, Leticia Wright as Shuri, and Andy Serkis as Claw. Ulysses Claw plans to sell the vibranium to an American buyer in South Korea tomorrow night. Crow has escaped our pursuits for almost 30 years. Not capturing him is perhaps my father's greatest regret. I wish to bring Crow back here to stand trial. Wakanda does not need a warrior right now. We need a king. My parents were killed when he attacked. Not a day goes by when I do not think about what Claw took from us. From me. It's too great an opportunity to pass. Take me with you. We'll take him down together, side by side. They need you here, protecting the border. Then I ask, do you kill him where he stands? Or you bring him back to us? You have my word. I will bring him back. Nice. So there's just not a lot of clips. <laughs> for me to use, but yeah. uh, I love that scene. I think it's setting it up in a lot of ways. His role, um, how passionate they are about getting this one particular guy. But aside from all of that, what was your takeaway walking out of the film? So uh, superhero movies are... And by the by, spoiler warning, I don't think we said oh, it yeah, explicitly. Oh yeah, we didn't say that. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, stop listening if you haven't seen this movie, which I'm sure probably a lot of you haven't yet. I mean, a lot of people have, obviously, yeah. destroying box offices. But <laughs> um, but if you haven't, just go watch it and then come back and, and listen to our rant. Yeah. Um, yeah, so superhero movies for me are are really hit or miss. I mean... I go into I go into a superhero movie wanting to put everything aside and just kind of enjoy the the um what is it uh, what do you call it the suspension suspension of disbelief, of disbelief. thank yeah. you um, and just kind of enjoy it and um, but a lot of times they're just so bad I can't do it and it just drives me crazy um, this movie actually was a lot of fun I really really enjoyed it uh, there were some times where I thought performances were cheesy and not really, mm-hmm. you know, on spot. And was thinking, really, you couldn't have gotten something a little bit better out of him. He's a really good actor, you yeah. know. Um, uh, but, but for the most part, like the the CGI was, I mean, I would say probably eighty percent of it was really good, mm-hmm. and there was twenty percent of it that was just like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> which seems like a that. Marvel issue these days. Yeah, I think so. Which is weird because it's marvel i mean the whole thing is cgi i don't anyway um but but i i liked the story i liked all the action i liked the comedic relief um i liked uh um the the suits and the fact that they were you know like 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 people you know um and his powers could get taken away and given back that was really cool so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I was able to suspend my disbelief and enjoy it and and it was it was fun all the way through. If for nothing else, the opening and ending sequences are amazing. Like the Yeah just like <laughs> wow. This uh, I was just watching it like, how do you do that? That's um, that's incredible. So yeah. Yeah. And uh, yours? Yeah. Uh I mean the same. Well, not quite the same. You saw it twice. You yeah, saw I saw it, again it twice. Today. The first time walking out, I definitely really liked it. I knew why the hype was hyped, and so I didn't let that take away too much. Because um, normally, if I walk into a movie that's overly hyped for one reason or another, I do put more expectations on it to perform and to blow you away. And this is not that. Like, if I got to see this in a vacuum, I would really, really enjoy it. But yeah, I walked out and I was like, man, I think it ran a little longer than I maybe would have liked. Yeah. And there were certain that. points that began to, that I felt like were just telegraphed. I knew the moment he accepted, uh, T'Challa accepted the the challenge from Killmonger that he was going to lose that challenge. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's kind of the, similar to this, there's this theory in, in screenwriting and movies of the loaded gun. And if you see a gun get loaded, you have to see it go off. And so kind of adjacent to that, uh, you don't see the same thing go right twice in films. And so we already seen, seen him win one really hard battle. There's no way he gets to do that over again yeah. and walk away victorious. And so there's this expectation that he's going to lose right, right from the outset. Yeah, um, I would agree. And so moments like that was, yeah, kind of took me out of it. I'm like, uh, I kind of already know this is going. But that said, I mean... My favorite character in here was actually Killmonger. I just, his performance was 
so perfect because of how well it contrasted with all the African accents. And suddenly you have this, this Oakland vibe laid back dude who's just not even worried about you. you (laughs) He's so (laughs) mellow and he just kills it. Like from the, his first scene, right. Where he's in the, uh, the museum and he's, Giving this girl the business. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Michael Jordan, man. He's, yeah, man. He's awesome. He really is. So, yeah, I mean, I walked away. I liked it. The second time I saw it, I honestly didn't think I would like it as much because having already seen it, then the small moments that I didn't quite see coming, like who he was being the kid on the basketball court and who the dad was in relation to T'Challa, like all those moments kind of took me by surprise. And so those were fun moments. And so, all that being taken away, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get much out of it. But because I went in there with the intention to take notes, which usually means I enjoy the movie even less <laughs> because I'm out of it. But I actually enjoyed it more this time than I did the first time. Really? Because I was looking for all the themes and story, some of the structure. I was just trying to figure out, like, what are they really symbolizing in this? And I, yeah, it just kind of kept me riveted and kept my head uh, spinning in a lot of good ways for me, you know, as a as a person who likes to chew on that kind of stuff. So then what was your biggest takeaway in that regard, seeing it a second time? Like, sim- whether that's symbolism or... or- Ooh, there's so much. I feel like as someone who's never studied an ounce of African history, that if I were aware, if I were in that uh, philosophy or in that study... I would pick up so many interesting points, but I mean, I have like a good 10 minute walkthrough if you want, of just some of the symbolism that I was picking out because you have from the outset, it raises a lot of great questions, which I'll get to, but from the outset, you're kind of struck with three views within Wakanda. You have Nakia, who is uh, played by Lupita Nyong'o, who Nakia wants to share Wakanda with the world, right? She wants to do like foreign aid and she wants to take in refugees. She has a really big heart and she wants to interact with the world, um, which explains also why she's doing what, where she is in that first mission that he goes on. Like she steps in front of the gun or in front of the claws of uh, the black Panther. And it's like, this kid was just taken and being forced to be a child soldier. You you can't kill him. Um, So she's this uh, she's interceding on behalf of yeah. uh, people who are thrown into terrible life situations, which becomes super important later in the story. Um, and then you have Wakabi, who is the guard of the borders, right? He wants to help the world, but differently. She has a heart for the people and to, and for the nations and, and, and giving. He wants to help the world by fighting and by going in and destroying all these people that are, uh, upending the world as it is. And they don't go very deep into his philosophy, but right off the bat, you get that sense. And that's his his heart. And then you have, by contrast, uh, T'Challa, who wants isolationism and non-interventionism, whether that is in trade. Because usually, just as a political note, when people talk about isolationism, they usually get it wrong from what I've heard discussed in the media and just in social circles, isolationism, despite what you think, isn't the lack of willingness to go to war on behalf of someone else. That's not what isolationism is. It's when you don't want to really interact with the world. It's, I don't want to trade with you. I don't want to share anything with you. And I also don't want to take anything from you. 
Um, that's what isolationism is, and that's what he's going for. But he also wants non-interventionism, right? He doesn't want to intercede on anyone's behalf. He doesn't want to engage no matter what's happening out there. But then you have an insider who's an outsider, uh, Killmonger, who is a a Wakandan. I don't know what their their people name would be from Wakanda, Um, but he's Wakandan. Okay. Who, even though he's from the outside, he was raised in Oakland. He was raised in California and became a a person of the world, uh, particularly an American. Um, And he wants to arm the oppressed. So he's a little bit more on Wakabi side, but even more violently because he wants to arm the oppressed in order to kill the oppressors and their children. He doesn't want to stop there. He wants to completely eradicate anyone who might even succeed the oppressors. And that's violence on a whole other level that really speaks to what Killmonger himself experienced because right in his vision with his father, what does his father say? No tears for me. And he's like, his his child version says to his father, everybody dies. It's just life around here. I, I can't take it personal. I can't cry over you. I've seen this too much. This is too much a way of life. And to that, Najobu responds, his father responds, I should have taken you back long ago. And he, obviously he's referring to Wakanda, but on a grander scale, you might say that he's talking about Africa. And if he's talking about that, in what way is Najobu, what is he a symbolism of? And there's probably a lot of different arguments to that because you could say he symbolizes Africa who sent their their brothers and sisters and sons and daughters to America, whether as slaves, um, or you could say it's representative of a freed slave or freed people who decided to remain in America. Uh, I think there's just a lot of interesting dialogue that can take place just around that one exchange because you have Killmonger who was trained by the government once his father was out of the way, who took control of this kid's life. And it ultimately was the United States, the government. They trained them to kill. They trained them to overthrow foreign governments. And so ultimately, that's what you have in place whenever uh, children no longer have access to their parents. A son no longer has access to his father. And that can lead to a whole other conversation about what's right for the government and blah, blah, blah. But it's a really amazing that was what was kept blowing me away throughout this film was there is so much dialogue and symbolism that's taking place that there's a lot to discuss. And what I loved and what uh, there's this huge thread that kind of keeps popping up every day or two with my buddies. I'm on this thread with that. (laughs) I'm the only white dude on this thread and (laughs) they uh, have this great conversation going. Uh, My buddies that are just, discussing this film and what does it really mean? What does Killmonger represent? What? And one of them, uh, Gerald was talking about how the railroad fight at the end, the fight at the end between Killmonger and the black Panther, T'Challa takes place on a railroad, which you would say oh, man, symbolisms yeah. uh, symbolizes the underground railroad, 
which if you don't know what the Underground Railroad is, that's, it's a figurative railroad. It wasn't a literal one. It was a network of secret routes and safe houses used by black slaves like Harriet Tubman uh, to escape slavery, usually to, to free states and Canada, wherever that they could actually you know, be, be their own masters again. And so with that, you have the Black Panther and Killmonger. They're fighting. This is what I took away from it. They're fighting for control of the route to freedom the style of governance yep. that they'll take into the world to help people. What's it going to look like? Is it going to look like a Killmonger where it's super violent or is it going to be like uh, the Black Panther? Because T'Challa has this amazing moment right after we have that moment with the uh, Najobu and, and Killmonger getting to see his father again in his vision. You also have this resurrection theme that's playing out through T'Challa. He gets buried in snow Whenever he's dying, even he has this kind of Christ-like fall uh, into the water. His arms kind of spread open, and now he's getting rebirthed and resurrected. And during that period, his three days down, if you will, um, he whenever he's talking to his father, he just unleashes all this rage, and he's so upset after finding out who Killmonger really is and what his father did uh, to his uncle, to Killmonger's father. And he disavows it. T'Challa disavows his father and his ancestors' path. And he wants to find a way to interact with the world and help the people that his nation let down. And so that's what's at stake during that fight. And it's a very, that's a lot at stake because normally, especially in Marvel films, everything in the world is at stake always <laughs> always, always. <laughs> it has to be if it's not the entire earth it's the entire galaxy and then probably yeah. at some point it'll be the universe <laughs> <I guess. laughs> yeah. but that's not that's not the case here here all that's really at stake is uh, a very tiny nation but more importantly how this nation is going to interact with the world that's what's at stake and it's much more personal and it's more meaningful um, because you understand how these people feel and you understand why they feel that way. It's beautiful. It's a really beautiful tension. Um, and for me, it, it leads to my favorite moment of the film, uh, which is that, that kill move, right? Where he stabs him in the chest and it's the reaction of Killmonger. Oh yeah. <laughs> so good. He just looks down and he says, hell of a move hell of a move. <laughs> oh man. I just wanted to, eat it <laughs> like pizza i like just yeah oh it was just so beautiful and such a and it was right in line with his character because he's a military guy yeah he studies he's and he goes on that whole diatribe uh whenever he's prepping to fight and challenge uh t'challa right he starts stripping off all his gear and shows all the scars that he's accumulated that represent kills mm -hmm. and he says i i've been killing from the first day in order to kill you, I killed people in Afghanistan. I killed people in Africa. You know, my brothers and sisters, I killed everyone so that I could kill you. And so it's just kind of ingrained in his character, the ability to kill, the tactics involved, and for him to just kind of look down and just acknowledge the beauty of what of how he lost. Yeah. That's, that's the type of humility that is strange coming from someone who was just so uh, upset and... Uh, forlorn about what he missed out on yeah and then well it also goes to show like that what happened to i mean it's it's a little bit of a 
kind of congruent with with what we do to Middle Eastern con- countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, creating insurgents happens on a daily basis over there. That's exactly what happened with Killmonger. Mm-hmm. He was created by the that Black Panther, mm-hmm. by his father. Great point. It, completely. I mean, yeah. if he hadn't killed killed him and left uh, Killmonger there, then he wouldn't have been, ended up being what he was. That's a great point. And it would have saved all the lives of all the people that he killed with all the scars that he had. Yeah, how you deal with even something unlawful uh, can really dictate. Now, on the one hand, you might say it wasn't done in cold blood. It was done in self-defense. But Yeah, but he left. He left, he left the kid, kid there. there. He knew he was there. Yeah, and I also just can't really buy into he has this incredible suit. He could have stopped a bullet or just stopped him, but he chose to go the extra the extra step to kill his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so in every way, like th- he let him down. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. Cause it leads to this, this conversation after, as he's dying and he, he has this beautiful moment where he says, my father said, this is the most beautiful place on earth that was going to show it to me. Can you believe that a kid from Oakland believing in fairy tales? Like it's such a heartbreaking moment because it's he's not a fairy a kid. tale. He's still a kid in yeah. his heart. Yeah. He's still trying to piece together his life even as he's dying. Yeah. And I obviously that just speaks to so much yeah. in our world and our country and in the broader conversation of how how many minorities are that are in the states and how they got here in the first place. I mean it's a it's a really deep and powerful conversation because to him that's a fairy tale. But in reality, uh, there's probably a lot of black people who were royalty back home that if they'd stayed, that's who they'd be today. Yeah. And so T'Challa, in response to all this, right, he takes him to the cliff and he lets him see the sunset and the, the land and he even offers to heal him. That was... Okay, that was the best moment of the movie. Can I just say that yeah. that was... Uh, amazing one i was thinking that when he said it it was like well he he healed uh the 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 fbi guy yeah he killed the white boy heal yeah yeah why can't you heal him uh and then he offers it but the the point of the other point you made was yeah he could heal him but why would he even offer it he just beat the guy you know the guy's trying to kill him and he offers it anyway and then the and then killmonger says that he what, what's the line? He says, why? To lock me up? No. Bury me in the water with my ancestors who jumped from the slave ships. Yeah. They oh. knew death is better than bondage. <laughs> uh, fuck. That's oh. deep because it's getting into that bigger conversation of so many things. First, before we even get to... I don't even understand the whole history of slavery and how it came to be, who was at fault. I tried to read a little bit, but it's so deep that, and it seems a little convoluted uh, because I think it's true that there were Africans selling their brothers and sisters into slavery. Mm -hmm. Um, The impetus for that, I think, is probably important. I was reading an article that just said that early on, at the earliest point, there were slave raids by foreign countries. 
And so at a certain point, you're like, do I want to keep what's the better route to to suffer and keep, you know, fighting or to help and profit off of it? Uh, and so it's got this really dark undertone that you might find in something like a World War II Holocaust um, scenario. And I couldn't even begin to understand or digest it, much less explain it and give any thoughts about it. But all of this raises some incredible questions that I had never even began to think about before. The primary one was, can you imagine African nations going to war in the U.S. to free slaves? Like for no centuries, oh, wow. we had slaves over here from their land and I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm sure it had to have been a thought in someone's mind. Um, you need ships, you need uh, guns, you need so much that I don't think that they had. Yeah. Right? And I'm not familiar enough with African history to know, was there even enough unity or was the unity there? And they were just too uh, focused on, you know, dealing with the, their own issues. Like I, I couldn't even begin to know, but just that visualization of, because that is kind of what's at stake here uh, that I feel like the film is touching on. It's the African nations did nothing to help the slaves, to help prevent the slaves from even being taken. Um, it just didn't seem like there was enough done. And I'm curious what was done, what was considered. That was just a whole line of thinking that I never have really given any creed to. Um, and so just that thought was just kind of like, wow. we It would certainly have been deserved on our part, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where as Americans, we get really proud about something like World War II, where we went and helped put an end to Hitler and to a Holocaust. And, um, but we always tend to negate the negative things that we did. And what if someone did that to us? What if someone during the Jim Crow era, era said, oh, you know what? We're not going to stand for these civil rights violations anymore. We're going to war with America. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of periods in, throughout our history that like, wow, that's... Well, it's easier to focus on the good things that we've done. Always. Right? I mean... We do that as human beings on an individual yeah. level. Yeah. Much much easier to do it even it's more really, so. really, really hard to be honest with yourself. Like yeah. truly honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and with those around you, I mean, th- we we have done good things as this country, you know, in this country's history. Obviously, um, we don't need to get into a history lesson, mm-hmm. but I mean, w- yeah, when you talk about slavery, it's one of those things that just makes us, you and I, particularly, like sick, yeah. like physically ill. Uh, anytime there's a there's a film that we watch that has it in it, it just or in any kind of, any kind of um, what, what's the word? racism? Racism. Thank yeah. you. I, Subjugation. I um, yeah, it just it, it drives me crazy. Just insane that someone could look at someone else and think that they're less for whatever reason. Yeah. Which is you and and any reason that they can come up with is usually very superficial. Yeah. You know whether that's skin tone, whether that's their nationality, whether that's uh, what what you you pick anything. And especially in this context, when we're talking about slavery and, and um, of any kind, Uh, you mentioned uh, world war two. 
that was a form of slavery in in a lot of ways but <laughs> it was mostly white people that we saved yeah. yeah right like oh so we're so good because we do that and yet we're supposed to just forget because there's no slavery quote unquote anymore we're supposed to forget that that ever happened which leads to the next question which is much easier to to put a finger on because we're super aware of it as Americans which is imagine a nation in this universe in the Black Panther universe you have a nation so vastly superior technologically and they chose not to share it or interact with it uh, with the world that's mind-blowing to to think in this world there is that that possibility that they could have ended so many other things they could have prevented you know Rwanda they could have prevented so many other things and I think reflection wise it is kind of posing that same question to America because of how vastly you know ahead of the game we are in so many ways uh, and it's an interesting question I have a whole political view about it but it's an interesting question to to your point we saved a bunch of white people in World War II whereas we weren't there in Africa helping anyone really. I mean, we have our own smaller organizations that as, as free people that we can go and we do help, you know, but as a government, as a structured <laughs> group of people, we, we didn't, we never, we've never interceded. I mean, I, I would, I would, um, I would say that it's a message to not just America though. I would say it's just a message to every, yeah. everywhere, everyone. I think that we all have individually even something to offer the world. And it's just a matter of whether or not we one find it two develop it and three share it. So, but that, that should, it's not just on a personal level that should expand to groups of people that should expand to cities, expand to the country, expand to the continent, to the world. I mean, think about it. We're all, we're all trying to do the same thing. You know, the people in Rwanda were wrong or not Rwanda in, in Wakanda were wrong by not sharing Mm -hmm. what they, what they had. Now it's understandable because one, you know, you see the power of this thing. You worry that, because of all the stuff that's happened in your country, this is going to just be taken by the rest of the world, particularly by maybe America. Who yeah. knows? So you worry about that, you know, right? Uh, but who are you, who are they to say that they know the right way to use it? You yeah. know, like maybe there is something. There's people dying in the streets. I mean, Killmonger had a very like sound argument mm-hmm. for where the hell were you? Where are you? There are, your brothers are dying in the streets. And it's great because he makes that point on top of saying, in fact, aren't all people from Africa? Aren't all these people our yeah. brothers and sisters? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. It wasn't just black people. It was yeah. everyone. It was, it was the downtrodden, the poor, the, the people that can't fight back because they don't have either the money or the strength or the technology. Mm-hmm. And he just want, But the problem it, for him was that he just wanted to <laughs> uh, <laughs> arm the teachers. He just wanted to give guns and weapons to everyone and say, all right, 
to all the all the the downtrodden. Now you can fight back physically, yeah. Instead of instead of mentally, instead of like like we live in the twenty first century. Muscles don't matter anymore. The thing that matters is the muscle in your head. And if you have, if you're smarter than the guy across the table from you, he might punch you harder, but you'll win yeah. in the end. Now, you know, obviously, if somebody has a gun and you don't, he's he's gonna win. Yeah. But the point is, you know, on a on a broader scale, you we're you know, America isn't fighting wars uh, like like military wars with China. We're fighting mental wars, and we're losing, by the way, but. If if I am smarter than someone else, I am more powerful than them nowadays, and that I mean, that is what I think that the 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 technology from Wakanda is really about. It's not about the weapons. It's about the ability to heal people. It's about the ability to to inspire people how to use this thing. It's just power from a rock. <laughs> That's all it is, and then you turn it into stuff. Right. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> and so it's great. Like there's just so much symbolism. Uh, there's a lot of themes. I'll touch on a couple of other themes in a second, but uh, it just raises the question like who symbolizes what? And I think we've already answered it, but effectively Killmonger represents the abandoned people who should not have been abandoned by his people. And T'Challa represents, you know, the sea change. He's the one that gets to say, this is where it ends. It ends with me. And which he has that really strong moment whenever he gets to see his father. And it's such a huge difference between the first time and second time when he sees his father, he sees his father the first time and he lays it on him. What he, he says, it's hard for a good man to be King. And it does not take long for him to realize how true that is. Um, but yeah. what I loved about T'Challa was, as a king, he did battle for his people. He didn't just command it to be done for him. And then they followed him. Yeah. Uh, we obviously don't have that as much. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do not. In no, we do not. Democracies. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, uh, there's that. There's the, there seems to be a theme of exploitation throughout the film, uh, which I found interesting to, to chew on. So you have Clow is stealing vibranium and profiting from it, right? And you might want to say that's something like the diamond trade, right? Um, it's just exploiting these people in order for his own selfish gains. It has, he's, not, he, he's really not on anyone's side. He really doesn't care about anything, which, by the way, Andy Serkis, holy crap, it was good to see him out of a costume, um, out of CGI. You know that's Gollum, right? Who? Andy Serkis playing yeah, yeah, I know. Clow. Um, Thank. Clow, the white guy. He was. There's two white guys in this film. He was the one that wasn't Martin Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of the other white guy. Oh my gosh! The bad guy. Yeah, the, the with the hand. Yeah. yeah. I knew I recognized him, but there's this, but. Awesome. He's big. He's like huge in the movie. He's like fat. Yeah, he's he's really big. The there's this great meme that's going around that I didn't realize, uh, and 
you know how we were joking that you had Martin Freeman as the to- uh, the token white guy, right? Yeah, always. And <laughs> but whenever you consider that, really, the only two white guys in the film were Martin Freeman, who played Bilbo Baggins, and yeah. Andy Serkis, who played Gollum. <laughs> you know what that made Lord them? Of the Rings <laughs> it made them the Tolkien white guys. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, uh, we just lost the five listeners. We still have. <laughs> that killed oh, me. <laughs> that was good. That's good. So I like it. good. I part of me has to think that that, that was intentional um, on the part of Cooper, <laughs> the Cougs. Um, and so awesome. there's there's that. There's also this great moment. Stan Lee's moment might have been his best one out of all the films. The second time watching it, when oh, yeah. I started thinking about it, because they're in the casino. Right, T'Challa's meeting with uh, what's his face, Martin Freeman, Agent Ross, and he throws down all this money, shoots the dice, he wins. T'Challa walks away. Stan Lee steps in, and he's like, "I take that and put that over here." You know, he takes all the winnings, and it seems like they're making a comment. I don't know enough about the Black Panther history um, of the comic book, but it just sounds like he's profiting off of someone else's risk or someone else's work. Oh yeah, for um, sure. It, it could be that Stan Lee created black Panther from scratch. I don't know what Jack Kirby, what his role in, in the creating, of if the you know book. out there, let us know. Yeah, please. But to me, it's like, okay, it might be that nobody else wrote a, 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 a comic book with a great black central character with African roots and, uh, Stan Lee stepped in. He's like, well, if no one else is going to do it, I'll do it. I'm going to cash out mofos. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so that just seems like a really great symbolic moment about the, the theme of exploitation of uh, profiting off of someone else. You also have Agent Ross who's using Wakanda to get Clow, right? Because yeah. they capture, T'Challa captures uh, Clow, but once it's in Agent Ross's possession, he's like, you're not taking this guy anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you talk to him. I'll allow this. I'll give you this. But this is my show here now, cowboy. You know, it's just this kind of condescending garbage. Uh, So he's using those guys. You have Killmonger who's using Clow to get into Wakanda. And Killmonger even kills his lover in order to get to Clow. Um, Their little Bonnie and Clyde thing that they had going on. Then you also have T'Chaka, who's T'Challa's father, right? The prior king sent his brother to America and then basically killed his brother for becoming like them. It's really sad. And then obviously, you know, he abandons his nephew there. Um, Then you have Clow, and this is what kind of puts the icing on the cake, who tells Killmonger that they'll never accept you. There also seems to be this running theme of how Africa and Africans interact and see African-Americans. Like their relationship sounds pretty tense and complicated for sure depending on who you talk to and different people's experiences it's rough and speaking on that note you have all these interesting african presentations and perceptions that are happening you have shuri uh who right off the bat mbaku says right shuri scoffs that tradition with her tech with the way she wants to take technology forward but then the counterpoint which is in this great 10 minute, nine minute video that you sent me where Coogler breaks down the casino fight scene. Um, and I'll post it in the links at, uh, at the pestle But 
after the casino scene, you have this great moment where uh, Okoye says, watching these guys fire at her, she says, guns. So primitive. Yeah. I love that twist because we Westerners always present Africans and their their culture and their weapons and uh, their dressage, all their styles, everything about them. We're presented as so primitive and so savage. And it's here they get to turn it on their head because she uses a spear in a way that I've never seen it used before, right? When she's she steps out of the car and she takes her spear, she throws it through their windshield and sticks it in front of the car and it completely flips the car upside yeah, down. Yeah, that was badass. God, that was incredible. I've never seen a spear or any action sequence like that. The closest you would get is like someone sticks a spear in the spokes of a bike. Yeah, right. Like in The Last Crusade. Yeah. Like that's as close as I can really get. So that was just freaking awesome. Um, but then they also kind of play on the uh, the savage, you know, quote unquote, nature that we we view them as as Westerners. Um, when Mbaku is talking to to Agent Ross, he's they're shutting him up. He's like, "You don't get to speak here. Yeah, you speak again, and I'll feed you to my children." <laughs> Just kidding. We're vegetarian. <laughs> that was great. And he cracks himself up. <laughs> it was so good. Um, but I also love the they have this moment where they have to make their very first real decision whenever the agent risks his life and they decide that they're going to save him. He was taking advantage of them. He was being condescending to them and they decide, Hey, you know what? We're actually going to, to save him um, because he didn't imagine that they had anything to offer them. And the vibranium, even though it was right before his eyes, he just assumed that these people still couldn't offer him anything, even though, what does he think the Black Panther suit is made of? What does he think is deflecting these bullets? Like nothing. And to him, having that dawning moment, you know, halfway through the film, he was like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. This is incredible. These people are incredible. They have hyperloops down here and it's running. Which, you know, flip to the end of the movie where, where he's standing up there and the, speaking in the microphone and the guy says, what does Wakanda have to offer the world? What does a bunch of farmers have to offer the world and he just smiles just dripping and kind of yeah and i was wondering i was like what's he gonna say nothing yes it's perfect because that mofo will eat his words absolutely yeah oh that's a beautiful moment um yeah so that is the first moment deciding to save his life was the very first breach into a a change in the way they do business uh, because now they're entering the world in a way that they don't normally do, particularly because this guy is CIA. This isn't just some random dude. This guy has access to everyone who matters in America and he can tell them everything. And they decide to take that chance anyway and to save his life because that is their character. Let's jump into some camera settings and stuff that you noticed. Yeah, so there was a couple things that were kind of cool they they have this great wonder in the casino right where oh man yeah god and you know what i loved about this particularly is because in kugler's last film he has this other i don't know six minute wonder everybody seemed to like it i didn't i didn't think it was a good wonder it took me out of the film because it felt like the action wasn't being sold as well and it was more important to get the long shot than it was for the action to be like yeah Yeah. tell the story instead of look you can't always you can't always do it right 
but at least back yourself up, get the coverage that you need just in case. And they didn't. But in his defense, he also didn't have one of the best DPs working in the business today, which is Rachel Morrison. And so she didn't get to shoot Creed, but she got to shoot Black Panther. And she freaking nailed it. Uh, One of the things I think they did was have a little bit wider of an aperture. So camera settings are important because you need to be able to set it manually. Todd. (laughs) Nah. They got an auto button on there, right? Just like set it and forget it. (laughs) What's what's important about uh, doing it manually is whenever you're taking a photo, you can get away with auto because you only need to get one good picture out of a, out of a good photo shoot. Whereas if you're shooting a video, you need all of these pictures. A video is basically 24 pictures per second and then compounded into however many seconds or minutes you have. If you're just shooting, you know, a, a 60 second video, then you need all those pictures to line up and look appropriate when set up next to each other. Cause all these things are interacting and juxtaposed against one another. And so it's important from one shot to the next to be consistent in order to help the audience suspend disbelief and to enter into the world that you've created. Cause if you screw some of these things up, it can be one of those signals that this is amateur, this isn't working. And so there's three main settings as a beginner uh, you have to be aware of, which is your aperture, your frame rate, and your shutter speed. Now, can you tell me the difference between the aperture and the shutter speed? Yeah. Frame rate, I know, is like you know, okay, 24 frames per second or 30 frames or 60 frames. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, we'll start there, actually. We'll start with you have your frame rate, which films, movies shoot basically at 24 frames per second, which means there are 24 pictures being created every single second. That's a very fast moving, you know, machine. And then you have your shutter speed. So if you're taking a photo, you're probably familiar with the idea of a shutter. You hear that click. That's the shutter. How long that thing stays open and closes will tell you not only how much light is getting in, but how long your your picture will last. So if you have a five if you have a shutter speed that's 5 seconds long, you holding that shutter open that long Someone could walk from the left to the right and it looks like one big blurry thing that's on your on your image. So what we can take from that is the shutter speed controls your motion blur. And with that in mind, our eyes are used to seeing emotion in a very particular way. So if you kind of run your hand back and forth through your face, you can see the motion blur that your hand creates. That's what we're used to seeing. And in order to replicate that with video, you keep a particular ratio between your frame rate and your shutter speed. So if you're shooting digital, which most people are, you'll have your, your frame rate at 24 frames per second, and then your shutter speed will be double that, which is gonna be 1 48th of a second. And that's gonna create the motion blur that we're used to seeing that's, that looks quote unquote cinematic. Now, not all digital cameras have a setting for 48, so it's okay, just round it to the closest number which is usually going to be 50, uh, which is short for 150th of a second. Okay, so once you have that, those things are set in stone. You can't adjust your your image any further with those settings. You don't want to toggle your shutter speed just because it's not bright enough. You're shooting inside, and I need need a slower shutter speed so I can let in more light and get a properly exposed image. 
don't do that. You're going to butcher your, your video. What you want to do then is do the other thing with the aperture. The aperture is the iris that's sitting at the back of the, uh, the lens. And this has kind of a lot of synonyms, which it's an aperture, it's an iris, it's also your f-stop. All those things are the basically the exact same thing. It's how wide open or how closed off the iris is, the aperture is. And the way that it works, it's a ratio. An f-stop number is a ratio. So if we have a 50 millimeter lens and somehow we get magical access to a lens that has an f-stop of one, which there's hardly any out there in existence, um, time immemorial. But if, it, if we did have one, that would mean we have a one-to-one -one ratio between our aperture's width and the, the lens. So if it's a 50 millimeter lens, that means we have a 50 millimeter aperture. It's the exact same width. But if we have like an aperture of F4, that means we have one-fourth the size of the of the uh, the lens width, which would be in this case, I don't know, 50 divided by four or something like 15 or something like that, yeah. 12 and a half, I don't 12 know. And, half, yeah. and now you're letting in less light, which means if you want to shoot at an F4, you need to have a brighter scene. Maybe you need to bring in more lights or just... Now, why would you want to shoot at an F4? The nice thing about shooting at an F4 versus an F1 or a 1.4 would be you have a larger depth of field. That's the other thing the aperture controls. As you're shutting down the aperture, it's getting less access to the lens because there's a smaller thing. And so it just begins to deepen your depth of field, which is that area that's in focus. So as you're pulling focus, right, at an F1.4, like almost everything's out of focus. It's really hard to find what's yeah. in focus here. Whereas at an F4, suddenly... A lot more is in focus, and if we're doing something like in Black Panther, where you're running around, grabbing all these action shots, well, that's probably really hard to do. It's hard on all your actors. It's hard on resetting if you want to do another take. So you want to get your focus right. It's super important to have everything in focus that you want in focus. And so to make it easy on themselves, maybe they, they shot with an aperture like at F4 or maybe even like an F8 just to help make sure we're not getting anything out of focus that we want to be in focus. It makes your life so much easier. And but so, you need a lot of lighting. But you would need more lighting. And what I've begun to think is that a lot of cinematographers may use this little trick where you light everything much brighter. Let's say you want to shoot everything super shallow so you can have those nice, pretty bokeh out of focus things in the background, which also helps separate your subject from the background so you can direct the viewer's eye to a particular thing. Well, then maybe you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the director says, I wanted that an F point, you know, 2.8. I wanted that an F2, which would change all your lighting setup. Well, what you do is instead of getting into the situation where you think, oh, I think the director wants to shoot at an F2.8. Um, you start there. You light everything so that it's bright enough that you could shoot it at a 2.8. And then if the director says, actually, I want to cut that in half, I want to do a 1.4. Well, then you can, you can open up your aperture, which will overexpose your image, right? Now you're getting in too much light. The aperture is wide open. You're getting in all this light, and it's just too bright for your image. Well, there's this thing called ND filters that you can just throw over the front of your lens that blocks in light without affecting the actual image quality. 
and now you've got this little cheat so you have like this room for maneuvering as a cinematographer you say let's set it up really bright and then we can just in case if we want to stop down to a or open up to a 1.4 we have room to play we can just throw some filters on it but what's cool and what i also noticed throughout this film and this happens in action films is a second ago, I was talking about how important it is to keep that two to one ratio between your shutter speed. Stop looking at me like that. And your frame rate. Well, maybe sometimes you don't. Maybe sometimes you want to have a shorter shutter speed. So instead of uh, your shutter being twice the, twice the speed of your film, maybe you want it like four times as fast, which means you're getting a sharper image which means whenever you play all those sharper images back, it looks choppy. Looks oh, yeah. very, very That's choppy. That's how they do that. Okay. That's how they do it. And technically, this might be way more info than people want, but... That's actually shutter angle. I got into trouble on a, one of my first short films because I was so used to shooting digital. I referred to it as a shutter speed, and my DP looked at me like, what, do you, what is it you're wanting? And I was like, I'm trying to get everything to be choppy for the shot. And they're like, oh, so you want a higher shutter angle? I was like, I don't, I don't know. Do I? He's like, you want it choppy? Okay, then we want a lower shutter angle. We want to lower it. Like, okay, because the digital cameras like a DSLR is different from the big boys. The big boys have a thing called a global shutter, which focuses on its mechanism is just completely different. Uh, so they focus on 180 degrees, which out of 360 is exactly half. It's still keeping that ratio. It's just technically working a little differently, which I have a whole animation for it in this video series I'll talk about uh, here in a minute. But in digital, what you do is you increase the shutter speed so it's really sharp and very fast. And then when you play it back, right, it's, it's super choppy, which creates a specific feeling in the viewer. Uh, and they do this in a couple scenes, actually. In Black Panther, they do it whenever Killmonger challenges the Black Panther. And that whole fight sequence, they have several shots where they increase the shutter, uh, shutter angle, lower the shutter angle, increase the shutter speed. <laughs> and Confusing. I know. And then it, it looks really, really action-y. I think most people associate it with Saving Private Ryan. The, yeah. the opening invasion with the beach. Right. And it all, they also do it in like Gladiator when they're throwing dust in the arena. And they also, I want to say, do it in uh, Black Hawk Down during some of those explosions. Everything just gets super sharp and choppy, and it just creates a really big feeling of intensity and action. So you have to do it very, very thoughtfully and carefully, because even in these films, they don't do it for very long sections. They'll do it for a shot here and a shot there. Right. But you're not going to see a five-minute scene where they do this, because at a certain point, it becomes difficult not on the eyes. To watch. Yeah. yeah. But it was kind of cool seeing that they do it. So they do it in that fight sequence. They also do it at the very end with when they're playing basketball um, for just a few shots. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's that's fun. Yeah. So if that kind of thing, if you want to shoot video and you're interested, go to the the website. I have a link. I, I am creating a video course actually on how to do your camera settings for video for anybody who's looking to understand more about what to do and why to do it, why it's important. I'm going to check it out. Ways to fudge it. But that that makes a lot of sense. That actually helps me. I'm not lying. I'm Yeah. That really does help me a lot. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> I want to see what you're making. Yeah, I'm excited to show it to you. When is it coming out? Um I probably need another week and a half. Okay. 
and then it'll be done and available. I'll probably still well, be now it has to be now yeah, it has to be I'm kind of on the hook. Yeah, now that you said it. So by 2019, uh-huh. <laughs> didn't say a year and a half. Buddy. <laughs> awesome. So the last thing I'll touch on is yeah. the cold open. I don't there's not a lot of Marvel films. I think that do this. I'd have to go, I guess, review it. Uh, maybe they do it in the, what was it again? The Avengers. So a cold open is when you just start the film, right? Yeah. We're yeah. used to seeing this in like certain TV shows. I think they do this in a, a lot in like procedurals, like cop shows where you, you, you don't have start, a title no sequence. Credits. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. credits. You just open it up. And here they, they do two scenes before they finally have their title sequence. Um, they start with the Wakanda story, which is that awesome animation you talked oh about. Oh my God, it's so cool. Freaking amazing. And then they end that with, and we're still hiding from the world. And the father, Baba, he says, uh, yes, we hide in plain sight. And what I love about that is immediately the next shot, we go to 1992 Oakland. And we're watching Killmonger playing basketball on the basketball court. Yeah. But we don't know it. He's hiding our villain in plain sight. <laughs> and that's just this really subtle, you know, touch that Kugler's a super thoughtful filmmaker, man. Yeah. Go watch this scene breakdown that he does, and you'll start to finally get a clue how much thought goes into making a film. Because I think sometimes people think you just show up with a camera and you shoot what you got. And in reality, you write a script, and then once the script is written, you like where it is, you start analyzing the scenes, and you start saying, what is my character going to be wearing in the scene? Yeah. Why are they wearing that? Right. We've talked about it in previous films, like the importance of color in a particular scene may be important to add contrast in order to make something stand out. You use everything. Filmmaking, more and more, I'm beginning to think is about contrast and how to make something stand apart for driving home a point or blending it in to drive home a separate point. Like contrast is so important. Yeah, the, in that breakdown, he talks about colors mm-hmm. and why there's no one else is wearing this green. No one else is wearing this red. It's for a reason so that you notice them on, on camera. Yeah. But also a deeper reason, which is the cultural reason. So, I mean, you've been speaking about that in so many episodes. Yeah. The, like, like... But in watching that breakdown, it really kind of like hit it home that, oh, this is the norm. Like, like you know, for these big pictures and stuff, like it is, it's very normal to like any scene that that uh, Spielberg has ever done, I'm sure, has all of these details that probably no one will ever know. Maybe he's the only one that knows like how, like how nitty gritty he wanted to get down to, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know just on some of the smaller projects I've done, I've looked to experiment more with that. And I cannot imagine what it would be like to have six months of pre-production and $20 million and 200 people. Yeah. Yeah. At my disposal to create my vision. Oh man. Like Coogler, man, I still haven't seen Fruitvale Station. Ooh, that yeah, obviously I've said it before. But yeah, that yeah, yeah. just pulled me in. I was like, man, whatever this guy does, I'm there. You're in. Yeah, because there's you can see just from his three films that he's made, this Creed and Fruitvale, um, that it's important for him to discuss race. And I feel like he works in Oakland. Uh, I think he's a Bay Area guy. 
and he keeps kind of working in his roots into into his projects which is awesome um i'd love to figure out one of my thing like how what would i want to insert into every film but he's growing but at the same time he's not taking anything for granted and just watching that breakdown watching this film twice has shown me so clearly that he is devoted to his craft and to making sure his films work on multiple levels. And that is attention to detail that is being passionate and in love with your craft. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I can't wait to go see it. I want to go see it. Yes. <laughs> is that your reco? No, it isn't. My recommendation for the week is the wire. Ah, I knew you were, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to go with TV show. Yeah, because this is where Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan, man. Yeah, I got to yeah. start. Yeah, man. Um, it's funny. Uh, I was looking for what could I make my faux sponsor of the day be with The Wire, because I've used The Wire a few times in the last few episodes. That's why I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> and I ran across this article where they have like 40 different names for drugs throughout the show. <laughs> <laughs> but they're all significant. Like it just speaks to where M Michael B. Jordan got to spend time on the wire. You just, I think, begin to pick projects based on can you live up to the wire? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he's done some fluffy movies like yeah, Chronicle, sure. but sure, sure. Um, yeah, and so, Fantastic Four. Yeah. Oh God, oh. that's right. Uh, he was like the only good thing in that film. But I, I do recommend the wire. Like it's a challenging it's one of those things now reading that article there was a sentence that i was like man that sums it up so well it's a difficult show to watch because of how dry it can come across sometimes but it's the most rewarding show you can watch because they use baltimore as uh, a microcosm of america at large and it's brilliant it's the best show i've ever seen i've heard that from a lot of people i got three episodes in yeah yeah it's one of those maybe I'm if you just, just say i'll watch one a week oh okay i'm gonna do that i'll start over yeah and i'll watch one per week what uh, all right done nice done i can handle that <laughs> usually i sit down and i you just know binge. just want to binge yeah. and stuff but and it is not binge worthy no well, it's maybe worthy worthy but, but not a bull yeah bingeable. <laughs> uh okay my reco is a, a a show as well um it's a little mini series on netflix called dirty money there are six episodes uh they're not all like amazing but the first two and the last one are infuriating <laughs> if you like watching you know like little documentaries and and that just piss you off to no end yeah I, I kind of do like there's something about it that just, yeah. you know, I, I, I can walk away and, you know, I, I can compartmentalize it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, you know, angry at my kids <laughs> <laughs> um, afterwards. Uh, uh, like if I'm sitting, if I'm sitting in traffic for two hours yeah. and then I get home, I'm just mad at life. Right. <laughs> and everyone it's in my way, but you know, you can watch a show like this and just be pissed at, at you know, internally, but still love your kids. Uh, so yeah, the first two episodes and the last episode are the sixth episode are, are really, you should watch them. Nice. I yeah. will. I will be queuing that mofo up. Awesome, dude. So stay tuned next week. We're going to be covering 
something lighter. We've been doing a lot of heavier content lately. Yeah. Uh, so we want to lighten it up for the next couple weeks. And we're going to be doing... Doesn't get any lighter than this. It does not. Dumb and dumber. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing it. We're going there, guys. We're going there. We really are, aren't we here? Yeah. Okay, can I touch on one thing yeah. real fast? I I was about to say it at the beginning of the episode, and I, I didn't because we needed to get into the synopsis and everything. But this, this film... Uh, Black Panther has a cultural weight to it, right? Yeah. And so did Wonder Woman. There's a big difference between these two, and I want to make sure because because of the review, and if you haven't listened to or seen Wonder Woman, pause this now um, and go back or go watch it and then listen to our first episode we ever did, which was Wonder Woman. Um, but the I just want to say, they're done completely differently. And the reason why Wonder Woman failed in my eyes is because it just totally negated the whole purpose of it. The whole purpose of it, the whole movement, woman, you know, power movement of it was totally thrown away because they wanted to make a superhero movie, a a normal superhero movie where a man had to be there and a man was, was a prominent aspect of it. This film is totally different. There were two white guys in it, and they didn't even need to be there. <laughs> so true. They could have been black too. Yeah. It was that's how you do this. Black Panther is how you do a superhero movie that is culturally relevant and sticks to the reason that it is. And I love it. It celebrates it. Yeah, it celebrates it. And it finally, you know, is one of very few films, certainly one of. I don't know what other films I would throw out there that puts African culture in such high esteem. Oh man. And it's super important for a human being, especially in America. That's so culture obsessed to be able to go to a movie. That's good that you get to see yourself on screen. Yeah. That's incredibly important. That's never been an issue for me being a white guy. Like growing up, every TV show, every movie, uh, not only was I represented on screen, I was usually saving the day Mm -hmm. and other cultures, right? Whether you're talking about Dance with the Wolves or whatever, like there's just hundreds and thousands of movies I put me metaphorically or figuratively, symbolically on screen as a badass. Yeah. And here you get to see black people and all their glory and they endure the condescension that's around them. Mm-hmm. And ultimately when they know I am far more powerful than you could ever possibly imagine. Yeah. And yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's great. It's and so if great. you can't watch this movie as a non-minority and enjoy it, then you probably need a long look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a 10 for you. Nah. That's not what we're saying. But looking at it a little deeper than just, a, you know, another superhero movie, you can't, you just can't not yeah. do that. You know, like yeah. it just, yeah. Yeah. And it's not that you got to love the movie. It's like, why don't you love the movie? Would yeah. Be the yeah. Question. Explain, explain <laughs> yeah. the reason. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm so excited that, you know, we have something like this and we'll get more. Um, I'm excited to see where this lands with uh, the Infinity Wars yeah. because they clearly are going to play a significant role. Absolutely. Um, state, of the, state of the end yeah. of this movie. Yeah, I'm still watching. 
All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, this was a good long one, man. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I enjoyed it. Thank you for, for schooling me on Aperture and <laughs> yeah. Show Speed. Yeah, you can I get know. more I, info. Uh, I'll post a link at thepestlepodcast.com slash Black Panther. And if while you're there, you want to drop a note. <laughs> yeah. Or a comment. Yeah. I'll make sure to change my sp- shutter speed only. <laughs> you that's, son that's, of a bitch. That's what I got from that. Is that wrong? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm pretty sure. I failed. Yeah. I'll have to go watch your your uh, your your class there. All right. Well, please join us next week uh, when we do Dumb and Dumber. Um, and if you have any any questions or anything, like Wes said, go to thepestlepodcast.com slash Black Panther and throw things at us. I don't know. Absolutely. Whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, and we'll leave you with a quote of the day from Spike Lee. Ooh, this is a good one. It has been my observation that parents kill more dreams than anybody. Oh my God. <laughs> that is so good. Wow. Holy shit. That is so good. I, man, I don't even know how to respond to that because, ah, uh, man, I, I got nothing. Yeah. I think it says everything. It says everything. It it says everything. That is everything that I, when, when I'm on my deathbed, if I'm, if I consider myself a good father, it has been because I've f- fed that seed to my son that he can do anything, be anyone. Like there is no, there is, there's nothing that can stop him but himself. I hope, and my daughter, and I, yeah. I, I hope that, that I don't kill a single dream that he could possibly have. That's awesome. Like, Wow. Because I, I felt growing up a little bit like that happened with me. I mean, it, in some ways, maybe it was a positive thing because in, in some ways, but it, if I had to do over again, I would, hope, I would wish that it wasn't. But, you know, when I would, I would like love something, right? the first thing that I would always hear from, from my parents is, is yeah, but I don't want, you know, that is the, that's the worst word ever. Like I, I totally, I understand I need to get an education. (laughs) I understand that that's important. I understand that I need to whatever, wake up and go to church on Sunday mornings. Fine. I get it. But that word when you're saying it to a child, even a teenager that's expressing like real passion about something is just gut wrenchingly awful because the, it's so there. I mean, with me, it was so fragile. Everything is so fragile with when you're a kid or a teenager that, you know, you, you like this thing, but you don't know if how much, you know, you need to, pursue this thing that, you know, is it not normal that I like this thing so much? You have no idea because, you know, when I started playing guitar when I was 14, I wanted one when I was 10. Wow. But my parents didn't get me one, so I had to save my money and buy it for myself when I turned 14. So, like, what if I would have, what if they'd been like, oh, he said he wants a guitar. Here's a guitar. Boom. Here's some lessons. You know, yeah, here's some lessons. But I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not throwing it on my parents. I'm just saying, that was your reality. I, my, my, yeah. yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I don't get a guitar. Okay, fine. I'll just I'll figure out a way to get one myself. But That's amazing because I grew up in the exact opposite uh, situation. All we had were dreams in my house, honestly. That's amazing. Um, oh. Because 
the things that I was told no about was no, you can't have those Jordans or no, you can't have those Jerbos. Like that's we, not a dream. Those aren't dreams. They yeah. were just physical things, things that I no longer care about. Honestly, it, it benefited me. I was miserable at the time, but now like you can see just by my car, I don't really care about that. I care more about my dreams and going after that. Um, and I'm not quite a Peter Pan person, but I definitely place more value on my experiences in life versus uh, my possessions because never, ever once can I recall my mom or my dad saying, uh, no, you can't do that. No, you can't uh, be that. Uh, whether it was playing sports and I played every sport uh, because in a tiny town, you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played band. I played all the different versions of band. It wasn't just Oh, I'll play, you know, and concert band, but I marched. I did all the marching contests. I did UIL solo events. I did uh, jazz band. I was in every band. I took music theory. Like I did everything that my heart desired. Um, yeah. I did it. That's awesome that you had that, man. Yeah. Jeez. What a great quote. I love Why did that. you pick that? Where did you find it? I picked that. I was thinking in context of this film, I was like, I definitely want someone, uh, black and if i could get a black director that would be great because kugler directing this film was a big deal to me um as a fan of his and getting to step into i mean he's doing the freaking dream man to go from an indie film uh like fruitvale station to doing creed he got to direct a freaking rocky movie and then to yeah. make the jump into a marvel film where you get really get a budget he is living the dream and Spike Lee, I feel like is one of those filmmakers who paved the way as a black director, writer, director himself. Um, I think he's incredible. And I was looking through Spike Lee quotes. I just Googled that. And then I saw this quote and I was like, man, I feel like this really speaks to this film as well. Yeah. Like if you want to think about it in that context, it's beautiful. And so, yeah, I just kind of want to honor that. I was also looking forward when I found out, before Kugler took this film, it was supposed to be Ava DuVernay's, and I'm a huge fan of hers as well. Man, like, how would this movie have turned out if Ava would have? Yeah, it? because she left over from what I read, uh, just difference of vision. Same thing as Joss Whedon; uh, they just couldn't quite see eye to eye on Black Panther and his role and um, how she was going to tackle the story. And so she went and decided, I'm going to film another blockbuster instead she's doing a wrinkle in time oh yeah uh, okay and so she's obviously not taking any back seats to anybody yeah no. um, so I'm excited to see what she does there but yeah awesome great quote little spike <gasps> oh, okay good and yeah so great quote <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we cut that out yeah awesome nobody has any idea what I just said nope good cut it out all right guys we'll see you next week until next week go watch some movies i'm todd i'm wes go watch some movies <laughs> <laughs> no.